0: to begin a new series with you this morning, and we begin this by simply reading the book of Ephesians, chapter 5, verses 30 through 32. So if you have your scriptures today, we will use this as a bit of a foundation for some things that we want to share with you in the coming weeks. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 30, "...for we are members of His body, of His flesh, and of His bones." For this call shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Now, as we read that language before you, you, if you're a Bible reader, if you've ever been to a Christian wedding for that sake, you recognize verse 31, For this call shall a man leave his father and mother, And shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. We usually, no matter what the subject is that we try to speak on, begin with the premise. And as you know, our motto is we run as quickly as we can to the Lord Jesus, as quickly as we can to the cross, as quickly as we can to the message of salvation, because that message is central to everything that we believe, whether a practical matter, even in times of correction or Rebuke, Christ, and the finished work of his salvation for us is central to all that we do. Today, as we introduce this series to you, rather than introducing and speaking on a subject and running as quickly as we can to the message of redemption, we begin at the message of redemption and begin to look how this lesson, this message, this fact of the matter actually is represented by an institution that many of us here are involved in. We all, we trust, came from a union between a man and a woman. And so this concept of marriage, we all know, we all understand, and it is one that is built fundamentally on the relationship that Jesus has with his people. Paul here in Ephesians chapter 5 is exhorting, About Christian living, Christian life, the principles of what it means to be a disciple of Christ in your own personal life. And he speaks about the way we should all be in submission one to another, the way we should sing to one another, speak to each other in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody in our hearts. He speaks about the fact that wives are to be a certain way to their husbands, husbands are to be a certain way unto their wives. Children are to be a certain way unto their parents, parents are to be a certain way unto their children, and even servants and masters are to behave themselves in such a way that is pleasing to God. And all of these principles are built upon this foundation of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ in our lives. Husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church. Wives are to submit to their husbands as unto the Lord. Servants to their masters as unto the Lord. Masters are to bless their servants because they have a master in heaven. Children are to obey their parents in the Lord, and we ought to bring up our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. There is no separating... The Christians walk in Christ with their relationship with Christ. Everything that we do as disciples is to be built upon the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. We serve others because of Christ. We do all things through Christ. And even our service by faith is something that is done through Christ, which is in us, the hope of glory. And so we understand the way these principles are connected. We understand the foundation of all that we do as disciples is the Lord Jesus. In the past 14, 15 months here at Flint River, among our congregation, among our membership, in fact, we've been blessed with three weddings. In the year 2020, we have had one baby born, And we hope to have another baby born very soon. I know among the congregation here, there are those who are newly married and they would like to have children as soon as they can. And so we understand the importance of biblical understanding for our marriages and the raising of children, the bringing up of children. In fact, I'm presently working with one young couple who is connected with our congregation they're not members here but they are connected with our congregation who plan to get married in the month of December we call these rona weddings and if you've if you've had a wedding it's where you in in corona land we we set aside all of the plans for the you know 100 persons gathered together in marriage to have the ceremony and all of the people there and the doves being released and the rice being thrown into your ear and the wedding dress and all of that stuff. We put it all aside and we have a wedding sometimes with a magistrate or a preacher and occasionally with mom and dad and all of that pomp is put away and saved for whenever this ends when the uh, several thousand dollar place that's been rented can actually be utilized because nobody wants to rent a several thousand dollar place to have the mom and the dad and the preacher. The preacher would be okay with that. Maybe my family could go hang out for a while after the proceedings are over, but we call these Rona weddings where we come together and we have a wedding and it's bare bones and essential, just what is essential is there. Most of the weddings that I have officiated have been that way, strangely enough. There was once where there was a great show that was planned and it was a cold, rainy November day and the wedding had to be moved indoors and... My sixth sense told me that I needed to prepare for that, and so I had the building ready to go, and this couple calls me at about two o'clock, this bride, terrified, it's raining and it's cold, what do we do? And I say, meet me at the church building an hour after your wedding is supposed to start, and we'll just have an impromptu wedding there. And it was kind of interesting. I gave the guy a microphone and used an iPod to play the music into the microphone as she walked down the aisle. And they had the best time. The family was there, and it was about the same crowd as we have here today. And it was a wedding. It was a very fun wedding. I had a call one time by a young man who was seeking to make some things right in his life. He went to the courthouse to get married to his girlfriend. And He calls me, he says, the courthouse no longer does weddings, what do I do? And I said, what are you wearing? And he said, I'm wearing a golf shirt and blue jeans. I said, I'll meet you at the church in two hours in a golf shirt and blue jeans. And they met us here. Rachel went and got some Sierra mist, or what is it called? What is it that you use? Canadian mist, Sierra mist, maybe alcohol, I don't know. But she went and she went and got some Spritey stuff and poured some orange sherbet in it and made some, you know, instant punch and bought a white cake from the cake aisle at Publix and we had them a little wedding here. Brother Hewlin was was doing his uh work on one of the leaky faucets in a bathroom and he was wearing knee high socks and cut off shorts and work boots and an old untucked shirt and A ball cap, and he came in and sat on the back row, took his cap off, and he was the witness to the ceremony. You know, it really isn't about how the marriage starts or the pomp with which it starts. What we have in marriage is so much more important than 400 people coming together to have a party. What we have in marriage, regardless of how it starts, is an institution that exists to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ and his disciples. I trust what we will see in this series together is how we can glorify the Lord in our marriages. But with all that we've said about the Rona weddings, and we had one of those with just family a few, couple of months ago in our family, and I know one of the couple here who just went and had the certificate filled out and notarized, and that's all you have to do to be a married couple in the state of Alabama legally at present. Regardless of how this begins, you can see how it's a thought that would be very much on my mind as we have had so many, and also as a pastor, why it would be so important for me to speak about knowing that so many new marriages have began began recently out of our little congregation. Aside from that, many of you here today are married, and there are many of you here today who will one day, we trust, in the near future also be married. And so it's something that we need teaching on in our church in particular. And because of that, I would like to take you through a brief series on the subject of marriage and the Christian home, using as our foundational verse Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 32. This is a great mystery, Paul says, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. It is a mystery... From the foundation of the world that had been revealed in the first century that the institution of marriage as it was created by God in the beginning of time in the Garden of Eden was an institution that parallels and foreshadows the relationship that Jesus has with his bride. For much of my week I meditated on that verse 30, for we are members of his body, of his flesh, of his bones. Scripture, particularly in Pauline epistles, speaks about the crucifixion of Christ as an event in which we were represented there in the very body of Jesus as he hung upon the cross. There's an old hymn that sometimes people sing. I don't know that it's in our hymnal. I think it is not. Were you there when they crucified my Lord? And it might even be an old spiritual. Were you there when they crucified my Lord? In a sense, no, you and I weren't there. I was born in 1981. That should make me about 20 in my mind. But that's not the case. I wasn't there when they crucified the Lord Jesus. But in another sense, you and I were there when they crucified the Lord Jesus. We were there represented in His body. So Scripture speaks about us as being crucified with Him. We read in Scripture that our sins were nailed to the tree of His cross. We read that our sin was imputed. The transgressions of His sheep were laid upon Him, according to Isaiah 53. And as you know, in my favorite verse, in 2 Corinthians 5.21, He was made to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. We were there in a sense on the cross in that we were represented In the body of the Lord Jesus, so that when He died, He paid the debt that you and I owed the Father. When He was buried, it was as good as if we were buried. When He rose again, we were raised again with Him. And Scripture uses that language over and over to convey unto us this thought, that as Jesus was upon the cross, our sins were taken away because He represented us there on the tree. And so, think about this language as we introduce to you the concept of God instituting marriage momentarily. Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. A husband and a wife are bone of bone and flesh of flesh, they are one entity. And so is it with us and the Lord Jesus. We are bone of his bone. And flesh of his flesh. That was one of my father's favorite sayings when he would preach on this subject as a boy. And I can remember him saying it, bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. And as a little boy, Micah's age, Annabelle's age, I would always be confused by the language. And I would think that's weird language. I would picture a skeleton. But it made a lasting impact and I remember it to this day. Bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Why did Adam say that? Because his wife, Eve, as we'll see in just a moment, was taken out of him as a bone. He makes this wife, this companion for him, out of his very own bone and flesh. And then God presents unto Adam this wife, and Adam says, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Moses, the writer of Genesis, adds this, Narration. Therefore shall a man leave father and mother and cleave unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. And so husbands and wives are bone of bone and flesh of flesh. They are one entity in this world as we are with the Lord Jesus Christ. You're bone of bone and flesh of flesh with the Lord Jesus Christ. That is a mystery. That doesn't mean that we're literally bone of bone and flesh of flesh with Jesus. I've been married for more than two decades to my beloved wife, and we're not of the same DNA, but we are very much one flesh in the biblical sense of bone of bone and flesh of flesh. We are one entity. We are one unit. As we continue to introduce this thought to you, and the longer the series, the longer the preface, this will be a medium-sized preface and introduction. Why would you talk about this at this time? Aside from the necessity in our congregation with new marriages and old marriages and future marriages, our land is full of violence and confusion and outright hysteria. We need clear teaching on the purpose of the Christian home from pulpits in this country. Why is that? Stress and trouble does one of two things to a married couple. Brother Jeff and I were talking about this on the phone, I I think it was Friday night. Stress and trouble, the present circumstance in our country today, can do one of two things. It can drive couples apart or it can drive couples together. Looking back on my own marriage and some of the issues that we've had to deal with, some of the tragedies that we've had to deal with, the complications, the health problems, loss of little ones, things like that can drive a couple apart or they can drive a couple together. A few years ago, a couple of decades ago, I was close friends with a believing family and they were a couple that I looked up to very much. And tragedy struck their home in the form of a miscarriage. They had but one child, and they wanted another child. They wanted a girl, and they were pregnant with a girl. Tragedy struck, they lost a the pregnancy. And it was a terrible, terrible time of crisis for them. They conceived again. They lost a child, and I forget how many children in a row they lost, but it was devastating for that family. Because of that heartache and because of that pain, there arose tensions in the home, and they eventually adopted from another country, and it was shortly after they adopted from another country that because of the tensions that began with the loss of those children, that marriage came to an end. It was a great tragedy, and it was heartbreaking, and the lives of everyone involved, they've never been the same since. It was a shame. You go through things in this life, and they're going to happen. They're inevitable. There are cancers, and miscarriages, and strokes, and heart attacks, and Viruses and plagues and illnesses and family turmoil and family strife. All of these things are inevitable. In your marriage, and if you're married, if you're going to be, listen to me, things like that can either drive you closer together or they can drive you further apart. Biblically, I can tell you that when Christ is the sinner and Adherence to his word is a priority in the home for both persons, both partners, both spouses. The troubles of this world will drive you closer together so that you have a partner to endure the trials with rather than a person to war with in the struggle. You grow closer together as the fires of this life burn in your own personal life You grow closer together rather than further apart. I'm convinced that God has given us the institution of marriage to have a partner to withstand the troubles of this life with. You can, in your own mind, go through the laundry list of issues that you've had to deal with. You've had family issues? I know you have. Every one of you. Why? Because every family, every family is made up of a statistical percentage of sinners. Now, what statistical percentage is that? 100%. Imagine if I were to tell you about a 100% fatal virus. You'd be scared to go in the room. You know, we're dealing now with one in our country that who knows the rate. Depending on what person you listen to, it's a different number. Hindsight's 20-20. That's not a pun. The irony that in the year 2020, we have no idea what's going on at any time. I hope 2021 gives us some hindsight because 2020 doesn't. We have no idea. You know, SARS-1 was 10%. MERS, Middle Eastern Respiratory Syndrome, also coronavirus, was 34%. Could you imagine a virus that killed 34% of the people who got it? You say, he's coughing over there. I'm going to stand way over here. Have you been to Saudi Arabia? Not going near you. Imagine a virus that had a 100% fatality rate. That is sin. And 100% of families are made up of this condition that causes death. In 100% of the cases, we all have family issues that cause strife and trouble and heartache and tummy aches and sleepless nights because we're all sinners. And we all have families full of sin. Every one of you has had family issues. I know it without asking you, every one of you, because we're all sinners. Every church has issues. Every home has issues. You have one flawed individual married to another flawed individual trying through Christ, the only unflawed individual, to make it through until death do you part. Health problems. Can create tension. Financial problems can create tension. What I want to give you out of this marriage or this message today about marriage is that this is your tag team partner that you're going to go up against this world with. This is your president, vice president. This is your administration. This is your cabinet. These are the people your wife, your husband. This is the person that you will go through this life with. And rather than yanking each other apart, The troubles of this world should drive you together. And I can speak that from personal experience. From issues with family, problems in church, health issues, loss of pregnancies, you name it. We've gone through it since we've been here. And I can tell you that through that, rather than being driven apart... My companion and I have been driven together and strengthened together as we've gone through the trials of this life. I would commend unto you that that is what marriage is to be in your life. Now, as a disclaimer in the introduction, is marriage for everyone? Both the Lord Jesus and the Apostle Paul refer to the fact that there are some people who are eunuchs for the kingdom's sake. A eunuch is a man who is not married. And the Lord Jesus taught this in his personal ministry. The Apostle Paul would allude to this and speak to this in his writings, particularly to the Corinthians. He says, I would that all men were even as myself. What condition was Paul at the time that he wrote 1 Corinthians? Paul's an unmarried man. That's why God had the opportunity with Paul to use him to travel all around Asia Minor and Europe in his personal life and preach the gospel. He had no wife that he had to leave behind. He had no children that it would have been to forsake, to leave them to go about his ministry. And so this man goes everywhere and he preaches and he devotes himself to The spread of the kingdom amidst so many perils. The troubles that Paul endured for the gospel are staggering and they would cause most of us to crawl up into the fetal position and simply quit. And yet he was faithful, he was faithful, he was faithful, understanding that God's strength is made perfect in weakness. But he was an unmarried man with no wife and children to leave behind. But for the overwhelming majority of us, God has not designed us. He's not given us the gift of celibacy. He's not given us the gift of no desire for the, a person of the opposite sex. And so God has given us marriage. He's given us marriage as a blessing to have the blessing of love and companionship in our life. And Paul would have us to marry. As we begin to ask the question, why marriage? What is the purpose of marriage in the world? This is an institution that is attacked in our day and age. It's attacked from several different angles. If you are a person that follows trends and you follow the whims of celebrities and public officials, you know that from one angle in our country, marriage is under attack being redefined. And the way that it's usually redefined is by saying, well, marriage is something that can be not just between a man and a woman, but two men or two women. And as they continue to push and continue to push, I don't doubt that in recent or upcoming decades, approaching decades, you'll have the push from people in the country to redefine marriage as being between multiple people. You see all kinds of crazy nonsense. I've seen news stories of people that are married to pets, people that are married to trees, people that are married to themselves. What happens if you have irreconcilable differences? (laughs) What do you do when you divorce yourself? If that's not the epitome of narcissism, I don't know what is. I love myself so much we got married. Marriage is between one man and one woman for one lifetime, till death do you part, only severed, only ended in the strongest of circumstances because it is an institution created by God. And we need to understand that this is a sacred institution. We find the origin of marriage in the book of Genesis chapter 2. Now in Genesis 1, God creates the heaven and the earth. He creates everything that is in the earth. He creates the... Plant life, he creates the bacteria, he creates the animal life, he creates the fish, he creates the fowls of the air, the creeping thing, the insect, the bug, creates everything. Lastly, he creates mankind on day six. As God looks at everything that he creates, he observes that it is not merely good, everything God created, he said it is good. As God comes to the conclusion of creation, the evening and the morning were the sixth day. He saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was what? Very good. Not merely good, not okay, but very good. Now, this is a world prior to sin. God creates a paradise. God gives Adam, his man made in his own image, a special creation. A creation that He gave dominion and command and control over the beasts of the field, over the planet, to subdue it, to conquer it, to colonize it. I hate to break it to you, this is my Father's world, but He has left it into our control, under our control as stewards of it. This planet does not belong to birds. It does not belong to beavers. It does not belong to spotted owl. It belongs to God and he has commanded us to subdue it. We want to be good stewards of it. I don't want to have to wear these silly masks that we wear around because of this virus outside because the air is so brown with smog. Anybody want to go outside and cough up a lung because the air is polluted? No, we want to be good stewards of it. I don't want to go swimming in Lake Gunnersville and see a three-eyed fish because of barrels of pollution that industries dump in the water to you. No, I want to take care of the planet. And you ought to want to take care of the planet. But it is ours that God has given us to conquer and subdue. I think we ought to be conservative with the planet. But at the same time, there is an order that God has created in the world. And the chief of His creation that He made that is physical, that is in His own image, is mankind. We have everything upside down in this country. It boggles my mind, and I know the only reason this is, is because of sin that the same celebrities who scream pro-choice, pro-choice, pro-choice and support all sorts of abortionist causes will get on television commercials and cry because animals are at the pound and it's sad. It is sad and I love animals. I don't want to abuse animals. But humans are made in the image of God's, uh, of God. My Labrador is not. Humans are a special creation made in the image of God. With dominion, with power, with control, with governance. This is why it's okay to tear down a forest and build a subdivision. And we don't want to just destroy all the forests. We kind of need the trees to have oxygen. And we need the trees to have Wildlife, And we want wildlife. We don't want to cause extinction. But mankind is made in God's own image. God looks at everything that He made at the beginning of time and it was very good. God begins to bring these animals to Adam. Plants a garden. You read this expanded narrative of the creation account in chapter 2. Many times in early Genesis you have this where you have the account, and then you have an expanded account of a part of it. You have the creation of man told, and this is on the sixth day, here as God forms man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul, God begins to bring these animals to Adam, and Adam names them one by one. Now if you're wondering how many times how many, how long did it take to name every species of cat, how long did it take to name every species of dog? You didn't have all of these little subgenres subspecies at that time. You had a wolf, you had a cat, probably some sort of a mountain lion, and through breeding and selective breeding, you have all these different species of Cat and dog and horse and all sorts of other animals. Just like you have all kinds of shade and height and look of humans. God made a man and a woman. And from man and woman you have all of these different looking types of people that are in the world today. And every one of them is made in God's own image. God brings all these animals by Adam and Adam names them. But as God looks at Adam here alone in the garden, he remarks, because there is no companion that is found for his special creation, Adam, it is not good that the man should be alone. Now I want you to see the glaring problem in that. How alarming is it, before sin, think about it, that God would look at the world that is very good and see something in that world that was not good. That interjects tension. It's a problem. It's trouble. The world is very good, a perfect paradise, and yet this one detail was not good. It is not good that the man should be alone. And so what does God say? I will make a help meet for him. Now we have made a word out of those two words, help meet for him. And it is the word help meet. And when we say help meet, we mean spouse or companion. But if you notice here, there's a space between these two words because this phrase, help meet, is not a word but a phrase. And it means a helper appropriate for him. The word meet means fitting or appropriate. In other words, there wasn't a fitting companion to be found for Adam. In terms of companionship with elephants, rhinoceros, hippopotamus, or wolves, or lions, or tigers, or fish, or birds, there's a companionship that the man could only receive from another of his own kind. And it was not good that the man was alone. There's a type of companionship that we only have through a spouse. Now, if you're wondering, I'm single, I'm not married, let me just interject this thought to you. In the book of Isaiah, Isaiah speaks to the eunuchs and he encourages them That they have a spouse in God. To the parent who can never have a child. Or to the spouse that can never have a child. There are children that you can have in the kingdom of God. You can be a father or a mother in Israel. To those of you who are estranged from your parents or grandparents. There are parents and grandparents in the church. And for those of you that are only children, I know you know my story, you know my brother, you may be, you may be thinking, is that, is that not a better case? No, I promise. There are brothers and sisters in the church that you can have. So through Christ, through God, you have in the church what you missed in a family sense because God supplies our needs as His children. But listen to me. There is a special type of companionship that you only receive through marriage. It is not good that the man is alone. I will make a help meet for him. When you say that verse from now on, I want you to put a space between help and meet for him. I will make a help meet for him. Does that help you understand what the word means? I will make a help meet. Meet for him. I will make a helper fitting for him. I will make a help appropriate for him because it is not good that the man should be alone. And so God calls us Adam to fall into a deep sleep. God invented anesthesia, God invented surgery via anesthesia. How amazing is that? God calls him to fall into a deep sleep. As he's in the deep sleep, he removes the rib from him. He creates woman from this rib. Adam is awakened. He presents this woman unto Adam. This is now bone of my bone, Adam says, and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. Adam is gifted by God this companion, meet for him that is his wife. So let's make a few observations from this. Number one, as we've hit on a few times, it is not good that man was alone, which tells us that man is created. And when we say man, understand, please please understand, we mean human, okay? Humankind, mankind. I'm not speaking merely in the masculine as man, as in a male, but I'm speaking man as in a human. Mankind. That's not politically correct to say anymore. You know, back when our parents were young, to boldly go where no man has gone before and we had to change it. Star Trek had to get PC. Boldly go where no one has gone before. Okay, whatever. But when I say man here, I have reference to mankind. Now, by the way... Early in Genesis, this term Adam can even have reference to the race of man. There's but one race in the world, the race of Adam. Now we come in different complexions, and it's all determined based upon one chemical we have in our skin, melanin. I heard a preacher, African American gentleman, Vodie Balkan one, one time a, a very outstanding preacher, make the comment that it doesn't mean that God loves him anymore because him, he gave him more of it than he gave us. That's simply a, a body chemical that changes the color of your skin. We're all, we're all containing that color in our skin. It's why we get a suntan when we go outside. There's but one race, the race of Adam. You know what the word Adam means? Red. What color do you think Adam was? Well, by that, ruddy, red, he was probably a reddish complexed individual. If anything, those of us who are of Caucasian, light skin heritage, we, we may have lost some genetics along the way because we no longer have the dark skin. And so when people like me go outside, we turn bright, blazing, neon pink. And it's awful. Bless the children that were born to me and Rachel who got my skin complexion. You get freckles. And dark pink skin. God creates this man from this union between the man and the wife that he made. Come every human being. We are all his offspring. We are the race of Adam. We are descendants of Adam. But God creates this institution here in the Garden of Eden. It is an institution that God has created, and he created it to fill the void that the man had. For companionship. Adam was created with a need for a spouse. A need for a companion. As we observe from the language, it is not good that the man is alone. To be alone and to be lonely is not a good thing. By the way, again, this is one of the reasons that God gave us the church. It's why fellowship is so important We have the blessing today of technology where we can talk to each other and see how we're doing and text each other and email each other and private message each other on Facebook and write little graffiti on each other's walls and we can communicate with each other. There should never be a lonely person in the church. Sometimes there are, and it's because we fail. The church is to supply this intimacy, this Fellowship, this family, companionship. But there's no substitute for this companionship between a man and his wife because it is literally a parallel to the companionship that we are to have with Jesus. By the way, if you are a person who has the gift of celibacy, what ought you to do? Devote the same level of devotion and interaction with your Lord Jesus that you would devote with a spouse. If you're a single person, there's a lot in this message for you. Devote the same attention to the Lord that you would devote to your spouse. Speaking about the goodness of marriage and the fact that it is a blessing, God gives this woman to Adam as a gift in the book of Proverbs chapter 18 Verse 22 Whoso findeth a wife findeth a good thing and obtaineth favor of the Lord. Scripture does not speak of marriage with the same sort of cynical irony that people speak about marriage with today. God does not endorse referring to your wife as the old ball and chain. Do you know what a ball and chain was? You know what a ball and chain was? It was a weight they chained to your leg as a prisoner so you couldn't get away. Men, word to the wise. Don't call your wife a chain that is put on a slave. She is not a prison sentence. She is a person to be adored. She is a person to be pampered and loved and cared for. You sisters can, you know... Give a contribution later. But whoso findeth a wife findeth a good thing. You ladies, your your husband might be an old man, but he's not your old man, okay? Well, the old man and I, that's your husband. There's a deacon brother from the church I went to occasionally growing up on the off Sundays. You know, Ebenezer met every other Sunday. As was the tradition among a lot of our people at the time. And he would always refer to his wife, and they were in their 70s when I met him, late 60s when I met him. He would always refer to her as his little bride. And he told me to do that. He said, Now listen, you better talk about your wife as your little bride, because that's, that's what I refer to mine as. We need to care for these our bride, and loved them like Jesus loved the church. You know what that was? That was an aged man exhorting a younger man how to love his wife. What a blessing men like that have been in my life. Whoso findeth a wife findeth a good thing. A wife is a good thing and obtaineth favor of the Lord. If you have a wife, you have obtained favor of the Lord. And I believe that could apply to you sisters too. If you have found a godly husband, you have obtained favor of the Lord. Sharing a passage on Paul's commendation of marriage, even though Paul did say that he was a man who had the gift of celibacy and he wished that all men were even as himself, he commended on multiple, multiple accounts marriage. He would exhort that the younger women marry. I would therefore, I will therefore, that the younger women marry, bear children, guide the house, give none occasion to the adversary to speak reproachfully. This is 1 Timothy 5.14. I would that younger women would what? Get married, manage the home, give no occasion to the adversary to speak reproachfully. Paul would that women, what? Marry. It's a good thing. Conversely, this is something that we'll point out in an upcoming message. If a woman does give occasion for the adversary to speak reproachfully, if she is a rebellious wife, a wife that is evil to her husband she causes the word of god to be blasphemed to blaspheme means to speak evil understand how important it is for a christian to have a biblical home there is no excuse for christians for two christians to have a destructive home that happens when one of the parties turns away from christ to sin it doesn't just happen. We think, well, it just happened. You know, it was just what happened. No, it's not just what happened. Somebody turned to sin. Understand, let me just introduce this thought to us today. We don't have to fight with people. We don't have to fight. We can be Christ like, and even when there is disagreements, which sometimes has happened, it happens in my home because guess what? You might take this, you might be surprised by this. Sometimes I'm grumpy. And sometimes there is tension in a home. But we don't have to fight. We don't have to argue. We don't have to be cruel to each other. We can look at each other and pity each other in homes and love each other through the problems as Jesus loves us. Christians have no excuse. And when it happens, it's because one person, maybe both people in the home, turned from following Christ and are blinded, are deceived, are just outright rebellious and selfish, whatever the case. Marriages fail because people turn to sin. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 4, Marriage is honorable and all and the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. Marriage is honorable and the bed is undefiled. Now as we think about marriage, and we have just but a few moments remaining together, We've already talked about why marriage, and we've already looked at the origin of marriage. The point that I want to leave you with today, after having mentioned tension in the home and the blessing of having a Christian marriage, where do we find the origin of marriage? Well, we find it in the Garden of Eden. God created Adam. God sees that it's not good that he's alone, God calls him to fall into a deep sleep, takes a rib from his side, creates a woman, presents this woman unto him and says, this is your wife. Adam receives her. He loves her. He cares for her. He takes her as his wife. Since God created marriage, God sets the rules for marriage... And marriage will only be successful, it will not be what it could be unless we follow God's rules. Now, we don't like to follow rules. Why? Because we are sons and daughters of Adam. All the trouble in the world began with one man saying, I don't want to follow rules. And so because of that, we come into the world screaming and kicking against authority. Submission is one of the most difficult words in the Bible to speak and learn and accept and embrace and do. And yet we find it in exhortations all through Scripture. We submit to God. We submit to the powers that be unless they forbid the worship of God, in which case we say we ought to obey God rather than man. And we submit, listen to me, one to another. We submit wives to husbands. And as husbands, we submit to Christ. Now, I know that there are a seemingly infinite number of psychologists and authors and gurus and philosophers, sociologists, Every one of them vying for the New York Times bestseller list to sell a million copies of a book and become wealthy. And they all have a different strategy. When I was a little boy, you heard a lot about child raising from a man named Dr. Spock. And I always wondered why the guy from Star Trek was telling us how to raise our kids. It wasn't until I was a late teenager I learned it wasn't the same guy. All these gurus that the world has to offer. Let me tell you, the only way you will be totally satisfied to the level that you could be satisfied and fulfilled in your marriage is by following the Lord Jesus as a Christian husband and a Christian wife. Now let me just say, along those lines, God instituting marriage and setting the rules, i want to set this straight right now. So many times you hear when a person gets married and they take a wife, well... You know, two years in, they're expecting a child. I guess it was time for them to start a family. Wrong. The day you said, I do, you started a family. That's a family. It doesn't take children to make a family. Did you cease to be a family when your children moved away? No, you were suddenly happy. <laughs> All of this free time, you're not yelling at people to get socks out of the floor. Brother Jerry's going to cry. He's going to laugh so hard. You're a family. When you get married, whether you never have children, you're a family. And it's a blessing from the Lord. But to have it as blessed as it could be, we have to follow God's rules for marriage. This is one of the three institutions he created in the world. It is the first institution he created in the world. Before he created his church, before he created government, the powers that be, God created the institution of marriage. And by the way, they all have their own three distinct realms of authority and dominion. There are times when they overlap. If a man abuses his wife, the government has a responsibility to throw him under the jail. If a man abuses a child, the government has a responsibility to deal with him. And in my opinion, they should deal with him the way they dealt with abusers in the Old Testament. Which, by the way, if you're not familiar with that, it is by execution. And certainly the church is to inform and instruct the family how they are to function. But you know, I can't raise your children for you. I have hard enough time with mine. The church teaches. The church is an institution of worship. The government is a terror to evil. It is a responsibility of moms and dads to raise their children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. This is an institution God has created in the world. Now, as we close today, as far as what this marriage is to be, a marriage is an institution comprised of one man and one woman, a husband and a wife, till death do them part. At union, at marriage, they are, what does the Bible say? One flesh. I want to give you some implications of that. This has been a very off-the-cuff message. I'm going to look back over the notes and reflect on the message and think, where did you derail? Because it hasn't been anything that I plan to say. Marriage being one union, one flesh, between a man and a woman, only severed through the most extreme of circumstances. Perhaps in this series we'll talk about killers of marriage. For this call shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. A marriage is an independent union from father or mother, a fresh home, a fresh family, answerable to God, the husband being the head of the house, the head of the wife is the husband, the head of the husband is Christ, the head of Christ is God the Father. You know the biblical order of authority from the book of 1 Corinthians. You leave and you cleave. We'll talk about leaving and being independent in an upcoming message. But you are one flesh. Now, as we end on this concept of one flesh, let's look at what that presents to us. You are one entity. You are one entity. You are a unit. You are one flesh. Viewed through the scriptural grid as one being, even though you are two separate people, you are one flesh. Bone of bone, flesh of flesh, as much as if you were one person. And we ought to behave as such. As one flesh, I would exhort you to have one bedroom. I would exhort you to have one bed. Now I know there are medical conditions that. Prevent that? My father snores so loud, sometimes I wonder how the neighbors get to sleep. It sounds like a bear is mauling some helpless creature in the room next door. I mean, you're sitting in the living room, he's asleep, and you're like, Wow, I understand why mom sleeps 60 feet away on the other end of the house. But you know, I've commended unto you for years, and if I've ever had counseling with you, premarital counseling with you, you know that we talk about the importance of a couple sharing a bed. Scripture calls it the marriage bed. Obviously, if it's one bedroom and one bed, it's not two separate places. One intimate partner for the rest of your life. One bank account. So much trouble is interjected into marriage when you have his money and her money. What I make is hers. What she makes is hers. Anyway, <laughs> I say she, she has a great paying career. Everything that I make is, is hers. But we have one account. We make financial decisions as a unit and it's our money think about the couple where one makes 60,000 and one makes 30,000 and the one that makes 60 thinks that they have a greater share of the swing of power than the other no you're a family it all goes into one pot and it belongs unto you as a unit you are one flesh and as one flesh we make decisions how as one unit as one unit Now, we'll talk in an upcoming message about the order of authority in the home and the respect and the submission and the understanding that we ought to have as married couples. But there should never be where one decision is pursued by one and another decision is pursued after another. All that does is create lasting tension and controversy in a home. I might also insist that this should even play out how we make decisions together as a church body you ever seen a husband and a wife argue with each other and make different decisions in church conference? That's a shame. That ought not be. There's a biblical framework of authority that we ought to submit to. hope these thoughts have been a benefit to you. I look forward to sharing some more of what Scripture says about this matter as we continue to study this together. Let's pray. Father, we come to you today in a troubled time and Lord, we know that you gave this institution of marriage for the troubled times, and as much as we love the times of vacation and the times of leisure and the times of relaxation, we know, Father, that you gave us this institution to find companionship greater than any other form of companionship between two individuals short of the relationship that we have with your son, albeit that this parallels it between a husband and a wife. Lord, we pray that our marriages would be strengthened in this. We pray, Father, that you would lift up the hands that do hang down and strengthen the feeble knees and give grace and understanding and open hearts and submission to your word. The message and the words are imperfect. Father, but we pray through this the wisdom of Scripture would shine out unto these people and that this could be a series that strengthens their relationships with each other. And Father, we pray that through adherence to Your Word, our marriages wouldn't end in pain and tension and division. Where they have, give grace. Where new marriages begin, give grace. Where marriages are now where once they had failed, give grace to make this union the best that it can be. We pray, Father, that our marriages would glorify You, that our homes would glorify You. Lord, we just ask for Your Son's presence. And above all, Lord, we ask for forgiveness, for we know how we have failed. We say this in Jesus' name. Amen.